0: The Sports Career Podcast, episode 308. How to develop your body language skills when working in the sports industry. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry. Especially if you have an interest in three areas. With regards to elite sports and understanding what it takes to be an Olympian. Understanding what it takes to be a National Olympic coach. And also if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports writing. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Reem abdallah Reem has a fascinating sports career journey. She's a two-time Olympian and represented Egypt in artistic swimming at the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games. She's also been a national coach Finally, she's a sports writer too. For that reason, it's such a joy to have Reem as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Reem will share her sports career journey and explain to you how you can improve your body language skills when pursuing a career in the sports industry. Reem, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to the listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start?
1: Thank you, Ed. It's so nice to be here. And I'm very excited to talk about all the great stuff um I don't know where to start but basically I became an artistic swimmer um used to be called synchronized swimming by the way now it's artistic swimming when I was about eight seven I think and since then it's just it's never it's never stopped I've always continued with my career as a as an athlete, and then as a coach, and 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 then as a journalist, and then mixing between the two things, and now I have a dual career and two things that I enjoy and love very much, and yeah, so that's what it is so
0: far. Thankfully, I've done some research because you missed a few things, maybe a couple of Olympics along the way. So let's.
1: Well, let's I mean, I, I gave like a little introduction. So let, let's
0: go early stages because honestly, everybody, you're in for a real treat. She doesn't even know, but I've done my research. You're in for a real treat. So let's go back. Also, you're from Egypt, which I'm really curious about with culture, which we'll touch on. But with regards to artistic swimming, like how did you get involved in that sport? And second part of the question, when was the moment when you went, I wanted to be an Olympian? Because that's a special moment internally to make a reality. I've had other Olympians on the show. And just one phrase that sort of sits as a habit of everybody said on the show is nobody can take that away from you. You may not have won the gold, but being an Olympian has that prestigiousness. So I'd just like to go back in time of like that moment of you dedicated to artistic swimming, to be an Olympian. When was that moment? So before? let me ask,
1: answer the first question first. Um, let's get into more details now that I'm ready. Uh... Yeah, nitty gritty. <laughs> so, um in Cairo, which is, you know, where, where I was born and raised, um, we we have like clubs, we have golf clubs where, you know, you have so many different sports and you just go spend the day with you and your with with your family and so on. And one of the days I was, um, I remember I was in the club, I, I had like a tennis class and then I heard music. So I went up to the pool to see what was happening and my, my mom was with me. And then I saw girls like spinning, you know, they had both legs up and they were just spinning in the water with music. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And I think, I truly think I was like seven or eight at the time.
0: And my mom
1: was like, would you like to try this? And I said, yes, 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 I I would love to. And then all I remember is like a few days later, maybe a week later, um, I, I, I went to the pool and I was like, doing the tryouts to see if they were going <laughs> to pick me to be part of the artistic swimming team. And, and that's how it started there in Cairo. Um, we did not have the sport outside of, of, of the capital um, until like only a few years ago. But we did have like a bunch of clubs. So when I was young, we had like maybe 11 or 12 clubs all around the city. And so you know, it wasn't this like tiny little sport. Everybody knew what was uh, synchronized swimming at the time, and the water polo team, and the swimmers. And so you know, it was it was a sport that, for a lot of people, I think who don't know the Middle East or who have never been, um, might might think you know, oh wow, that's crazy. You had artistic swimming in, in Egypt, but yeah, it was kind of like part of the culture, especially as the aqu- like one of the strong aquatic sports. And um, and that's it. That's. That's where I started, and that's how I started. And then I fell in love with the sport, even though it was so much more demanding than anything I had played for, like, years. So, obviously, I started when I was at seven, and I kept going, going, and I think by the age of 12, there were conversations already about, like, joining the the national team. My coach was Russian. She was, wow. She was demanding. And she was also a visionary. Like, you know, she would just say very like two or three words in a sentence and she'd be like next week we try this just something so simple um but you know she had she had a strong vision and she thought I would be some someone very very special in the sport and I never knew why and eventually you know she I tried out for the national team I did well but I wasn't like one of the strongest in the country or anything like that and her vision was just to prepare me technically versus everybody else who was there and Um, her technique was so different than the other Egyptian coaches, and and anyway, the next thing I know is I think I was like thirteen, and and I was on the podium, and I thought that was so weird. Like I don't understand what. Like I I was in like the fourteenth place, and then somehow like a few months later, I was seventh, and then fourth, and then I'm you know I, I have a bronze medal in my hand, and everyone is telling me that I'm like I'm good which to me at the time in my little brain was like, okay, this is cool. I'll just keep going. So I never really had that moment of like, okay, now I'm going for what's next. Now I want the gold. No, I was just having such a good time. I love the challenge of um doing things right and taking our time and i think that was the biggest thing that i learned and that's what led to me having the opportunity to, to go to the first olympic games in 2008 when i was just 15 years old and the youngest person on the team right
0: okay i don't want, I, i'm sorry to interrupt but age wise did you enjoy childhood at that time at the same oh my time? god i'm curious
1: <laughs> i did not have a childhood <laughs> Well, no, I don't remember having much of a life at that time, because it was very dedicated to the sport. And at the same time, I went to a very good school. Um, and they were strict, they were all about do your. they were supportive. And they were like, do your sport, do your thing, but you're gonna come back and you're gonna get the great, you're like good grades, and you're gonna pass. There's no such thing as like being absent and not putting in the work, which taught me so much, obviously, later, because I was just juggling two huge things at the time. For like a teenager who, who can be worried about other things, right? Um, yeah, and then, and then eventually, <laughs> uh, we had like Olympic qualifications. Um, maybe when I was right when I had turned fifteen, something like that. And and they told us you're going to the Olympic Games, and that was the first time ever the Egyptian team, the entire team, not a duet, um, the the eight girls were going to represent Africa like Egypt in the Olympic games. And it was in China. And at that time you hear all the names and all the people that go to the Olympic, all the athletes that go to the Olympic games. And you're just like, am I gonna gonna go there? (laughs) I wanna stay at the same place, like the Olympic village and everyone else. And I don't think there was a moment for me that was like, I want to be an Olympian. Oh, this is exactly what I had been like fighting for. No, I was just taking it day by day, working so super hard and loving the challenge. Um, and then that's when it happens. Uh, I think. Well, that's not when it happens. That's when it happened to me. <laughs> and I guess to answer that second question, still, I had that instinct and I had that desire badly of wanting to be a real, dedicated and 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 just how do you say this? Like full, you know, like a um, just a whole athlete, not just like an olympian who's going there because she, she was able to qualify no no i wanted to be a whole in athlete that was collected and was exposed and all that stuff um for my second olympic games and that's when i really really worked for it and i was between two countries because i had i had already left to the u.s when i was 18.
0: i was going to say that sorry that i've seen a, another interview one of the challenges was travel which i want to touch on but i want to actually go to the sport because I've done my research and I'm going from a skills standpoint, let's say when your legs are in the air spinning, I'm going, wow, like the technique. And it's funny enough, because I was in a swim pool a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like easy to do breaststroke, but this, different, different ball game. So I'm just curious, is there a difference between how you prepared yourself for individual, duet and a team? Because that is fascinating in itself of not just the routines, but how you prepared for each. What did you specialize in? Was it purely team or a bit of variation of all three?
1: This is such a great question. You've definitely done your research. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's so different. As a soloist, you're you 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 know you, you're more about um, being aware of your space and moving the way your body allows you to and listening to the music and interpreting in, in, in your own way. You don't have to worry about... You know who's next to you doing the the count seven on a on a different angle, or synchronizing exactly how you get out of the water so that it looks perfect, or like keeping the perfect smile on when you go up because you know there are seven other girls by your side. It's very different. I that was my specialty when I was in my club. Um, Definitely a soloist, but then learning how to do the same sport in a very different way next to one person, the duet became like my favorite thing in the world once I had that opportunity because it's not as stressful as having seven other girls by your side which is a whole other game by the way I mean the lifts like when you carry girls up in the sky and and you and you make sure that everyone is in pattern and you like pull them underwater before you go up if just to make sure you know nobody's escaping or going I don't know the other way or whatever um it's it's less stressful than that and it's the same t- at the same time it's very similar to solo because you, you feel like you can really like just own the pool and go from one diagonal to the other with, with one other girl by your side who has more or less the same strengths right so yeah
0: and then another technique not technique another question on a actual sport itself water resistance how do you manage that but also with sync of the music like could you hear the music when you were upside down? It sounds silly, but I was just like, so curious. I was like, hold on, you're doing a whole routine. Like let's, let's compare it to skaters or gymnasts. You know, they don't have to think about this water resistance. I'm just curious <laughs> how you yeah, had that component of water, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, you definitely hear the music underwater. Definitely. It's a huge part. Yeah. If you don't hear it, it's a problem because, you know, you can, you can be underwater for like 40 seconds. And you're back and like you're up and down and you're up and down you you breathe and you do like the arms or the transitions and then you go underwater and you do the big things that are called hybrids or in the u s we call them figures um and so if you don't hear there's it's very difficult to synchronize it with other girls, especially if you're in a team and just with you know with yeah with the resistance and with how much you have to work to get higher and how much you have to how many times do you have to change your technique underwater to make sure that you know you show the difference between stability versus explosiveness? That is a huge, that's a whole other game. And not a lot of athletes can do like all these things at the same time very well, right? Some some athletes are, are very strong, um, explosive athletes, other ones are are good at being stable and just sustaining height and you know the 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 difficulty and and that other level of being able to really swim well as a synchronized or artistic swimming is to have like a good balance of all these things at once while synchronizing them.
0: And the final part, because I'm actually working with a gymnast on his book, and you know, he said to me, Ed, I, I can't really remember the routines when I was doing the Commonwealth Games and all that. I'm like, because it's so like routinal, you know, with practice after practice. I'm just curious, though, on one element, which he did remember one story of pressure. Like, you could see your opponent's score before you perform. Like, did, did you have a game plan of how you dealt with pressure when you had to compete at the biggest stage? You know, I, I like to keep it high end with both Olympics experience, if that's cool with you. But how do yeah. you manage that pressure in general? Because I'm curious.
1: Oh, um, if I'm talking about myself personally, um, I I was i think i was always in robot mode that um you just need to do it you do it the best way you can and that's your that's the best way to feel prepared and that's the best way pressure doesn't become a huge threat that you go to you know you're at the competition and then suddenly your performance is a whole other um thing than what you're used to and and that has helped me so much as a soloist and then later on as an athlete who went from one country to the other, from one culture to the other, from one team to the other, from a colleg- like a club team to a national team to collegiate team to Olympic team to being a coach later on. Like I thought that was exactly what worked for me. But I know managing pressure um, in general in our sport and in a lot of artistic sports really has to do with every person's pers- personality, every athlete's personality. Like some of my girlfriends, need to like scream or cry or dance or you know just do their thing or hear the music a million times and go over the routines again and, again and again and again and again before they have to go out and perform it because that's they know that that's what works for them right I've always remembered the routine I think because I've always had that like um, rhythmic uh, touch <laughs> in my brain um, so I didn't have much trouble with that to me it was mostly am I gonna die Really, No, seriously it's every it's every artistic swimmer's big fear am I gonna die because yeah, it, Is it can due get to the,
0: the, the underwater and the oxygen and yeah yeah okay, yeah, you wow.
1: get you get in competition mode, you're performing for all these judges who are like far away. I mean, you, you have to connect with them. You have to make eye contact. You have to keep your impression an artistic impression. You have to perform well. You have to push height. You have to look at audience too, so that you can make them, keep them, you know, excited. You have to cover the entire pool. You have to hold your breath. It's so many things. The sport is crazy. And so you're always worried. Like, am I, I'm giving so much and I'm going, going, going. Am I going to die? It's going to happen today. Is it the day? and you know it's it's happened before that athletes have passed out that's a whole other story yeah but yeah
0: yeah but no no but it's good like for me i i didn't even think of that you know you just again due to the water it's another component to be mindful of when performing um wow okay see i told you this would be a great conversation just touching on though from your as you say when you went to um china in 2008 like from that to 2012, which I can't believe I'm like 10 years um, of the 2012 Olympics, which is like they're going through all the legacy. But could you just share the journey between 2008 to, to 2012, which I know is a different experience because one challenge from other interviews I've seen was the traveling, which I would love you to share to other athletes listening, can be a factor where it can drain your energy. Because I listened to many interviews, you said the travel was the hardest part. From what I learned from you from other from articles or interviews back then you just paint that picture but also how travel was a metric where you had to be mindful of when to try and perform to your best ability for that second Olympics
1: yeah 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 okay let me explain a little bit because I know I, I didn't really give an introduction <laughs> I didn't give a timeline of how things went yeah so as I said, I left um, Cairo when I was 18. I went straight to the U.S. That was St. Louis, Missouri. I, um, I was there on a scholarship to be a student athlete um, for the synchronized swimming team there um, at Linda Wood University. And, you know, I was competing for them for four years. Uh, we had amazing results. We were collegiate champions my senior year. It was such a great experience. But a, a year after I was there, I decided I wanted to keep competing for my country so i was doing both luckily luckily i wasn't i wasn't required to keep going home like more than twice a year in order to you know train with the team make sure i am on top of choreography all that stuff which worked out for me and luckily also i was used to going home like i was used to you know saying christmas break and summer break are the perfect times to go home and enjoy family and all that stuff and that's exactly the time when i trained so it didn't feel unfamiliar for me going home and training that was the only thing i knew at home right um later on the the olympic year they asked me to be there like the egyptian federation asked me to be there a couple of months before the 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 tryouts and and the whole you know shebang and that's when i had to talk with the university lindeburg university and find a way to make it work so that i can continue my classes from egypt and make sure I'm on top of everything as I go back and forth and so I did go back and forth about twice and then I stayed there like maybe from March right after the collegiate championship um all the way until all the way until the olympic games and I don't know if the travel part was hectic for me as much as the juggling two things and making sure I'm not half-assing anything Like I'm giving my 100% to with university as a soloist, as a duet member, as a trio member, as a team member and finishing it right before I go home and do it a million times better because I can at home with my team and bringing all of that experience, all of the knowledge, all of the good, positive things that I learned in the US with my coach at the time, with my team at the time to my team in Egypt knowing how to juggle that and balance that with the difference in culture was wild wild and I didn't try to force it I remember but I really I really did my very best to see how between myself and my teammates we can make a change in order to go to that second olympic games and there were like half of the team was was repeating their second olympic games which was so special like it doesn't happen often you know how to make that change and and get so much better regardless of the circumstances, regardless of who's coaching us, regardless of what's happening in our lives, regardless of of everything. And that's exactly what we did. We went, we have, we had our best swims. We beat Australia for the first time, which was like a huge, um, a huge challenge at the time. And I, I remember I helped like choreograph pretty much all the routines as an athlete standing next to the coach, doing both things at the same time. So you know, it was it was a very special experience. That second Olympic Games, it was a whole other game for me.
0: So, just decoding this a bit, or unpeeling the onion, as I say, like reflecting that period of time, like like you just said, it improved your coaching skills whilst performing. But did you have a four year plan? Like nearly everybody like, who've been Olympian had a period. But for you, because I'm going to say you're young, because you know we're talking eighteen year olds, like we're meant to be, like saying doing degrees and stuff. I'm still curious how you did both because but all I will say I will give you a question now how performing with your college friends helped you sort of get inspiration with that group and then you could take the best bits and apply it with your Egyptian sort of swimmers like how did that help that transfer of maybe different techniques or different approach did that come through reflecting now of your performance in 2012?
1: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like in my, in my style of swimming, like me personally, there was a huge change because I guess in Egypt, um, our, our style, the, the majority <laughs> is, is pretty powerful and explosive and, and, you know, we're so high and we're so technically strong, but we lack that, um, that smoothness yeah and just elegance in the water and flowing from one thing to the other just the flow is such a strong word in our sport and I learned it later when I started when I became a coach when I transitioned to being a coach we didn't have much of that and like moving from one thing to the other transitioning from one thing to the other whether we're underwater or we're breathing and you know we're doing arms was not like was not part of our education whatsoever athletes same as coaches like you know coaches were pretty um worried not worried but they were pretty focused on like what are you doing at the moment but how do you go from one thing to the other was like oh that's that's not important you just get out do whatever transition and then you're back on uh, underwater and then now we f- we focus on the figure and so when i was in at Linda Wood university there were athletes from all over the world there was like we had russians we had spaniards we had uh, someone from everywhere Dominican Republic Aruba is oh my god everywhere Brazil Venezuela I keep going to Latin America (laughs) just from everywhere like every all five continents and seeing the different styles of swimming knowing that a lot of the athletes could be significantly weaker technically than my friends at home but still look so good in the water and be able to to get through and to improve so much with a different training system was everything for me it was like this is crazy my first week I thought oh this is gonna be a blast this is gonna be a walk in the park like I feel like I'm I'm so strong here so I'm actually gonna you know take a break enjoy college all that stuff like I'm I'm gonna work always 100% what, one time at the pool but I don't have to kill myself the way I did when I was in Egypt, because there was just so much competition and it was all about who's the highest, who's this, who's that. And, and I learned I was wrong. No, it's not, it's, you don't have to be the highest, the strongest, this, what are you doing in a team? What's your role? How are you helping every element and every aspect of the training and and of your team get better? Every person on the team had a role, you know? And in, and my education in Egypt wasn't that way. It was like, you just do what you're told. And you don't even know what who's in my pattern. I don't know. Are we in a Christmas tree now, or are, aren't we in a diagonal? I have no idea. Coach is is the one who you know does all that stuff. And so that was the kind of change that I was really trying to to take and be able to to give or even to help um, my my other team back at home.
0: It, sound, it sounds like going to college. It's sort of performing smarter, not harder. To your physical power like exactly you've got to work hard but not to the point where it's burnout if we are just for the listeners um that's really fascinating out of interest what did you study at college because I bet you had that challenge <laughs> as well again yeah of college studies and still competing at an elite athlete so I'm just curious what did you study
1: journalism <laughs> oh okay cool so that works
0: out right. so, so yeah yeah we, we'll go on that so so Nothing else, was it just journalism, or did you do other modules during that time? Like, cause college systems different in UK, you can mix and match. Um...
1: Yeah, 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 you're right. I, I changed quite, uh, quite a few times. I started with pre-law, cause I really wanted to be a lawyer, but realized that, you know, that was just not possible with my sport whatsoever. And then I was really interested in languages. I was already like speaking my third language. I was going into my fourth. And so I took French for quite, for like at least five, six years before and during university and then i stuck with a psychology minor for quite some time and i i I did not fully complete the 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 minor but i did study it for quite some years
0: but was it helpful so helpful. in what way so helpful
1: in every possible first of all i'm so interested in the human brain the human mind and and how all our actions and just everything everything is from up here and as an athlete like understanding why i act a certain way why something um is is more um, appealing to me or attractive to me than than other things why my coach is demanding in that way without giving me any any you know time to figure things out myself just so many things make sense when you understand how the human brain works and how every human brain is different and as a coach, oh my God, I can't even tell you. I mean, I don't think I would have gone the places I've gone and you know, the the US national team and a collegiate coach if I hadn't had that sort of knowledge from psychology and how the human brain works. I really don't think that would have been the case because there are so many talented coaches in the world. But if you don't if you don't have that part of connecting and relating and understanding and Knowing that some things are okay and other things are not okay, but we have to work on them and having goal oriented objects, just everything. It's helped me so much.
0: And behavior patterns as exactly. well. I'm just curious of how it elevated your behaviour patterns before routine, during training, during performance. Like you probably consciously didn't know. Like, really quick, you had a fun story with John Amici, who's a pro NBA player, and he studied psychology. He asked a question, like, did you apply what you studied, didn't? He, he went I wish I did as my own subject, but I think I did. Uh, uh, yeah. I think I did consciously with all the textbooks. So, yeah. And, oh, wow, what a cool conversation. One thing I want to touch on now, then, because you said a few times, is culture. You said it bagfuls of times. And I think it's re- I think it's a fundamental element in any aspect of the sports industry. But reflecting right now, Reem, how vital is culture with regards to mindfulness of it, when competing in sport, but also in a sports industry? Like, would you just share this part? Because you've said it a few times, but I think it's really important when working in this industry or performing as well.
1: So, wow, well, I think the biggest thing for me is understanding um, the cu- like understanding the culture that you're part of and understanding why some things could make sense and could work in your culture versus other things that will be more challenging to even think about ha- having, like making work. I think that was, that was the biggest thing that I learned going from Egypt to the U.S. and, you know, wanting to bring the things that I know from Egypt to the U.S. Oh, there's, you know, the U.S. is a, is a hub for all these international student athletes. And, you know, this is what we do in my country. It works great. We're so strong, all that stuff. And it's like, no, honey, that's not how it works. <laughs> like it's not even about about your technique and all that stuff. It's about oh, wow. It's about your commitment, your discipline—not just self-discipline, but discipline in the team too. Are you rising to the occasion? Are you being a role model to other athletes who are by your side? Like just being an Olympian doesn't make you doesn't make you a great leader or doesn't make you a great teammate. Like you know you've you've achieved that and no one can take away take that away from you like you said but but has it taught you that and 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 if it hasn't are you willing and are you ready to to learn how to become that whilst you're in a different culture and then be able to be aware of how other and different cultures work and continue to do the same thing So I I think that was the the biggest thing for me, but it's super vital to always be aware and mindful of culture and and how people do things and the behavior, no? Like how do athletes and how do coaches and how do human beings who live in one country and are used to one thing and one certain style, coaching style or approach, how do they take that information in? How are they listening to it versus in another place? And it's kind of your job to be aware
0: to communicate it and communicate and communicate
1: it to them. Thank you for finishing my. It's been it's been so tough. Spanish has just been
0: (laughs) um, no, do amazing. Like I'm going to intervene because I can see what you're saying. Like it's being open minded for new ideas, but also versus the tradition of a culture, like how things are and. That environment. So I can see it. I was like, your body language was expressing. I hope the listeners are checking <laughs> in. But I want to, there's so much more I want to touch on. And honestly, there's so many components. But just quickly, what skill sets from that period of 2008 to 2012 like reflecting have supported you right now? Wow.
1: Skills, so much like communication skills, first of all, social skills that I can't even tell you enough because you meet people from all over the world and you meet athletes just like you. and. They, you know, they have, they, they come from different cultures, they come from different places, but you're all sharing that same love and passion. So definitely like social skills and being able to just go up and talk to another uh, athlete and and support them also and cheer for them. And, and, you know, that has helped me in my workplace so much, whatever I end up doing, because I can go and I can do that. And I don't have that fear of having a conversation, opening a conversation. And then having like being goal oriented, saying, you know what? I want to do this and it's not, you know, this huge overwhelming thing. I want to do this. What can I do now? What can I, what can I control? One, two, three. Okay. Now this is what I'm going to work for until I reach my X, Y, Z objective, right? It's being goal oriented and, and having, um, having something to, to, that challenges you enough and then eventually being able to come to achieve that Uh, patience, empathy, wow so many things i can't i can't think right now but uh even like how
0: about decision making
1: decision yeah of course of course decision making sacrifice uh, are two things that you know i think i'm going to live with forever and i'm sure every other olympian can 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 say the same thing because you have to make decisions on a daily basis i i i can't wake up today it's 4:30 a.m. I feel like it's the end of the world but you know it's your decision are you going to get out of the bed and go to the pool or not it's sacrifice you know my brother's having a birthday party it's going to be great no you are not going to choose to do that because you've committed to something and and that's another thing commitment and discipline and self discipline more than anything else right uh wow so many things also like just knowing that finding having a purpose is not an easy thing, but that you will always be looking for it in order to, to be the best version of yourself doing whatever it is that you're doing. And I think that's something that I always go to and I don't think I, I really knew that this is something that I've um, acquired you know, throughout my career and, and as I continue in my career. It's just finding your why. Why do you do what you do? What inspires you? What drives you? is this where you want to be and then now when you answer the question now you can go for what what's next
0: my goodness i hope people are taking notes and what you're talking about does relate to today's podcast topic. because i thought with you even when we connected at sega sport interview tweet your communication skills are just off the charts and i wanted that to be the main topic and you've already mentioned a few bits already but just reflecting to listeners going okay ed Reem, right Ream, we're not olympians or i'm not either but you know what i mean like elite athletes like how can people performing in sport, even let's say they go to the gym or they do a fitness class, like how how is sport develop your communication skills? But in particular, your body language. Would you mind just sharing how artistic swimming has actually developed your body language from that component of communication?
1: Oh, OK. As an artistic swimmer, you learn to be creative, you learn to move your body, you learn to listen to music and interpret it, interpret it the way the 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 way that your body tells you to and and that by itself has has really helped me like listen to music in different ways and 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 ask people about different themes and watch movies and always think about all these different things and that 's made me without even realizing that 's just made me so much more open to ideas and so much more creative in the way I think of different things. And, and that's also made me look at other artistic sports that way. And so when I meet people from other artistic sports, I I always feel like there's a conversation. There are so many conversations, like, how do you do what you do? What are the challenges uh, that, that you face when you're, you know, doing your thing and you hear the music or you don't, or, or there's no music at all, any, at all and you just have to express yourself? It's that's one part of it and the other part is the sports that are not artistic whatsoever the the ones where you know you 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 make it to the wall and it's a touch and whatever your time is that's your result and it's you know it can be less than a minute and it just dictates your future forever right that fascinates me too because it's slightly it's very different than than what I had learned and it's very different in our sport but there are so many conversations there too like how do you go by practicing and preparing for that moment because your moment is so like objective and it's so clear you either make it or you don't you touch faster or you don't you know you improve your number or you don't and that by itself is has also made it so much easier for me to be curious and ask people and have conversations so in every way sport has made me and i'm sure has made wow like all other elite athletes curious about how other athletes go by and and how other not just athletes also like anyone in their career i think anyone who's really committed in their career like you want to know how they've made it how how do you handle pressure what made you what made you want this like all the questions that have to do with sport eventually you meet them eventually in your life too they don't sport stays with you forever so it helps you communicate with everyone else and and break the ice and be the biggest person in the room sometimes
0: absolutely but I want to touch on body language because this is a sport where you had to articulate and like if people in the gym I just want them to realize when you can you know do sport regularly you know your posture is your first impression and I don't think... I'm digging deep here because everybody goes, I'm oh, improving communication skills. Great. Oh, yeah. That, that, that could only go so far. Let's go to the nitty-gritty again. I'm, I want to talk on posture because I believe if you get your posture right, it can really, you know, elevate your confidence, your self-esteem. And the reason I say this, when <laughs> Reem knows this, because she saw me absolutely panicking being the MC for the final half day, I was literally getting tips from the other MCs, the ones who were going, the one, And I just... It was only when Louis Sahar, which you did an interview with, I asked him a favour. I said, look, how do you prepare for a big, big match? And he gave me this biggest smile and he said, smile. But I also knew body language because if I could just look on the stage, the biggest I can be, (laughs) and I'm quite small, everybody, but it means at least you come across confident. So we just touch on your sport, but also how maybe you didn't realise you competing regularly and doing the reps and training actually improved your posture from like a communication standpoint.
1: Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. I'm sorry I didn't touch on that, but yeah, just eh, your body language is everything. And even if at the moment you, some moments you could be not feeling your best, your body language is help language helps you before it even helps someone else, and and it can change your entire day. Like like you said, smiling even when you're having a rough day or when you're having a great day, smiling affects you and then affects everybody else who crosses paths with you that one day, right? Imagine that that's just one day. Imagine on a daily basis, having that as part of, part of your character. That's definitely something that helps so much. And then standing up straight when you're talking to other people and when you're doing anything and when you're giving a session and when you're training, whatever it is, like standing up straight is already, is already something that not everyone can do. And it's something everyone feels, The other day I was, you know, with a few friends and I remember um, someone came in and they had such a straight posture and 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 she looked at me and she was like, hi. And that was like she started a conversation, I think, because the two of us were just like standing up straight versus, you know, everyone else maybe looking a bit different and and she was just like you have great posture and I couldn't believe it I was like I was thinking this is exactly the same when you walked in and and obviously you know she, she plays sports and she's crazy about crossfit and all that stuff but you know that presence says something about you and and it allows it, it gives you that confidence and it gives others confidence too when they look at you and not just that like you're the way you speak as well Right, you, you can own a room or you can influence someone in a very positive way and you can impact people when you when you are standing up straight and you're speaking to that person and you're looking them in the eye like eye contact for me is is so important when it's when it's possible right because not everyone not everyone can have that but if you can you can make such a huge impact on on other people that you that you meet just by doing those three three things, you know, smiling, looking in them, looking them in the eye when you talk to them, having a straight posture and, and especially when you're leading, of course, that's a whole other game. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Again, I hope people take notes, but there's more I want to bag in this conversation because we've only literally just scratched the surface from your career summer. You're still an athlete at this point. When was the moment when you went right, I wanna, you know, finish being Elite performer and transition into coaching because this is really important. And I'm not an elite athlete, but my goodness, Reem, like I'm always. It saddens me when athletes don't, like you said, know their why after sport. And when I say this to you, like I I say, you're young because, like, if you look at most athletes, they they average retire like 32, 34. Like you know, if we look at majority of all sports, but you're still quite young. And I'm like, may I ask, like, what in what made the decision not to do another Olympics, but also coaching was the right fit. I think I know the answer because you've given a hint that 2012 you were the coach slash you know athlete at the same time but looking back in time when was that moment you went this is the end but coaching was the next step
1: yeah you know what Ed this is the moment that changed my life until today (laughs) yeah um I you know I was already I had already gone to two Olympic games, which I'm not saying this was like a huge achievement or anything. I was just going, I was on a roll. I was healthy. I could have continued, but I finished my four years with uh, Lindwood University and I, you know, I was already in the U.S. And my last year um, as a senior, I was team captain, which is not something I thought at the moment I was ready for whatsoever, but, you know, they picked me and I, I said, okay, that I, I can do that. And my coach was already like, recruiting me for years not recruiting me but she was really supporting me because she saw something different which was the same as my coaches in Egypt like why do they always say that like what is it that they see that's different and I think it was um like growing the leadership the, the little leader in me and teaching me how to think about every other person on the team before I think about myself and and how to lead them and how to influence them in the better in the best way and all that stuff led to me realizing that like wow I really like really really like how that feels I don't think as a as a senior athlete in college I realized it yet because it was a very stressful experience but just giving me that opportunity uh, one year after the other made me realize that like yeah I think that is really one of my like purposes in life like it's it's a mission for me to to have other athletes help other athletes and and lead them in a way that you know makes them perform better and think better and be better and and, and all that stuff. And so I gra- after I graduated I became the assistant coach of the same team <laughs> with my head coach at the time. Uh, obviously that was a wild transition but it wa- it wasn't too bad because I was just the assistant coach. I knew all my teammates it was a lovely experience and all that. But then I realized that there were some things that I really wanted to change. And there were some things that I felt I had the power to do, but being an assistant coach didn't allow me to do that because I didn't want to you know step on anyone's toes or whatever, and I was obviously the young the young and experienced coach and so my the head coach at the time really helped me develop that and 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 think about it and brainstorm and see how would how would I do it why would that make things better? Why would that make that athlete feel healthier like why and why and why and why and that helped me even more and so the year after when I took over the program as the head coach at like 23 years old when I was so young it was a game changer for me I was like this is my mission I have a purpose and it's not just to do good artistic swimming it's like to try to give an opportunity equal opportunity to every single person on the team whether they're team a team b team c and to like find that team purpose altogether without you know forcing anything without just just really thinking about mental health and and the team all together and finding the same purpose and that is the way we're going to be better and that was so different than the, than what i was used to as an athlete for so many years in my life not all years but so many years of my life and so that wasn't when i really realized like okay coaching is stressful it's very hard I am responsible for absolutely everything. I will hold myself accountable to be the one responsible for absolutely everything. But I love that feeling of being able to make a positive change and a positive impact and then even do better results. And that was it for me from there. You know, I I moved to Boston the year after being the head coach that year. I was the assistant director of like, a, you know, one of the biggest clubs in, in, in the U S It's Ana synchro absolutely love this team and this club. And I went, I was there for about a little, a little less than three years. And we had an amazing connection and we just, we were working on all that stuff, like how to get better as human beings, how to be better as teammates, how, how to have a purpose. And if we don't have it, how to find it. And then from there, the results were crazy. Like, crazy crazy you know we were on the podium for the first time and it was just constant improvement and from there i didn't have enough i was like i want to keep going and before i knew it the u.s national team reached out and that was obviously an incredible opportunity and i knew yes i want to continue being a coach i i'm in i'm 100 in and you know that's where i was for two years uh just learning and and continuing to explore all the unknowns of human behavior and athlete behavior and all that stuff before I made the switch to Spain.
0: Can I, can I do a timeout? Timeout. I I love you. I want to talk about the duet from South Africa because you did share that little story at sea, which is really inspiring. So timeout. I've got one question to go back to. How has your coaching journey elevated your self-awareness? Because you said earlier that, you know, for you, you cared about the team, the culture, but reflecting now as a coach, like how important is that self-awareness?
1: Oh, it's everything. It's everything. If you're not as self-aware as you can be, you will not connect with the team. You will not understand all the different behaviors. You will not be able to sense when an athlete is having a hard time or when an athlete wants to push a little bit more, but she just, just needs a different approach and she just needs you to like, look at her and make eye eye contact with her without even saying a thing for like three extra seconds. Like without that self-awareness, you are just one more, you know, and it's difficult for athletes to be like, I trust you. I will do what you tell me. And I will also communicate with me, with you about what I like, what I don't, what helps me, what doesn't. And you know, so it's it's huge, really, really huge.
0: And also during that journey, how did you develop your coaching? So we say philosophy, it sounds very posh saying it like that, but your method of coaching, because you said you're really young, which I, I think age is just a number, but at the end of the day, you need processes that work for you and then work with the athletes you're working with to keep it simple. So may I ask like when you got to that national coaching job with the USA? I assume you you had your way of doing things or processes. Um, I'm just curious of how you developed that for any young coaches listening in.
1: This is a great question. Uh, I will answer this as honestly as I can. Um, If I thought I had a coaching philosophy before going to the U.S. national team, that went out of the window. (laughs) Yeah, just with the pressure and the difference of everything and being full, full time, like, all these athletes had, had moved from all over the country, living in California, only training like 100% of the time. We weren't at a club anymore. We weren't in, in college anymore. Like there weren't other distractions. It was like 100% this is what we do. And and so everything that had worked for me in college, which by the way, in college, I, I was still finding myself and my philosophy as a coach. I knew doing the right thing and supporting your athletes and and being very demanding, but at the same time being demanding with a lot of love is what I was going for. But I was still like, you know, understanding how to be a coach on my own. And then in the club, like, wow, doing things, having an, a, such a strong connection and connection with m- with my team at the time and doing things in one way that always worked. You know, like Sundays we sit down in a circle and we talk about how everyone is, how we're feeling, all that good stuff. And then that just helps us, prepare for the week and and be honest with each other and always touch on topics that we can't when we're in the pool and all that stuff that just did not transition the same way once I I made that move to to California the national team I tried at the beginning and I was like okay no no some things that you've been used to for like years will not work with other teams you will always have to find what works for the team you're leading at the time or your assistant leading at the time or you're helping at the time whatever it is and that was my biggest lesson at the beginning i was a little resistant because i was like this needs to work like we need to talk about important things we can't be in the pool all the time uh why is this happening like we need to you know make sure there are we're more focused on discipline all that stuff that i had so clear at the beginning and so confident going in no i definitely had to adapt and be flexible and say no Some of these things are not working out. Like, you have to explore, you have to dig even deeper into your coaching philosophy and see what works not for you, for them, as you hold very tight your values, how your approach, which is like very important too. Like, don't without losing your temper much, without losing your you know, your positive energy and that attitude that, that the girls or the athletes see every single day. So, you know, for any coaches out there who are listening to this or even parents, like I think about this all the time. It's, it's exactly like in life. If you just keep that self-awareness with you everywhere you go, with every team that you work with in any career, in any industry you're, you're part of, it is life-changing because you will always adapt. You will always have that open mindset and, and, and it will only help you.
0: Again, I'm going to put it on the spot the coaching because I've had many coaches and, you know, like I am a big believer in like high-performance principles because it means you're putting yourself in a state to achieve whatever it is. But a lot of coaches say, hey, get rid of the high-performance, you're a great coach. But they say the real coaching starts at the grassroots, like real technical. But the more their experience and the, the more they're in national teams, it's not really about the technique. It's about the overall management of that individual psychologically and physically. Did you see that transition in regards to with the U.S. national team? It wasn't about how they performed in the pool. It was more managing other distractions that influenced their performance in the pool, that makes sense.
1: Yes, 100%. Everything, everything, every outside circumstance, everything affected the way they performed, not just in competitions but in training too, which is training. Every training is a competition, right, if you look at it that way. Um, And so – you as a coach, being able to manage that or learn how to manage that, was also a huge thing. And and yes, high level training. I'm a big believer too that there are principles and there are there are values that should not be lost um, in high level training to keep everyone equal, to keep everyone always at their best, and and you know to, to always to encourage them to always think of. Improving and always going higher, always every single day. We something gets better, even if not every single day where where things are actually getting better. But that's you know the mindset we want to go into, but while keeping all these other circumstances and conditions in mind.
0: Hundred percent. So we're back at a timeout zone. I want to talk about South Africa because I looked in this a little bit. I'm like, wow, like the story. Could you just share like this could be a podcast itself but could you just share what inspired you to work with two South African athletes like who were a duet like could you just paint the story of this side of your coaching journey
1: yeah yeah so I'll quickly uh just clarify for our speakers um that after I left the US national team which was in 2020 and you know the pandemic happens and, and all that stuff I made the move to Spain um and that's when I decided to continue coaching but kind of more relaxed not in a full time position not in one like specific national team as I was like looking to explore the my career as a journalist as well and so at the time, the Olympics was already delayed a year later, right? And so, you know, that that must have been and I, I know I had a ticket to the Olympic Games with the with the with the American duet. And I like that was crazy to me that like now, no, now you have to wait another year and now we have to do trials all over again. And that must have been so difficult for so many athletes and coaches and staff all over the world. But at the same time it was an enormous opportunity enormous opportunity like you know if you were able to push for four years you have another one to push for and if you weren't able to and you couldn't make it now is your chance to really push 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 for another year to see if it's if it's gonna happen and and so as i started consulting one of the teams that reached out was the south african duet and you know in Africa we only have South Africa and Egypt that's it we don't have any other more any more teams in Africa and you know I was used to always seeing Africa South Africa my whole life we competed against each other always but the last time they were in the Olympic Games was in 1992
0: so Barcelona exactly
1: yeah and and then when they reached out and they were like hey Reem, they basically wrote a paragraph and they were like hey Reem like uh we have been following a lot of your like, training and, and, and sessions and all that stuff. And we have a dream. That's, that was basically the summary. We have a dream. We want to qualify for the Olympic Games. We know that there's one more spot open. We just need to get through like a, qual- a qualification in South Africa. And then this dream could become a reality. Can you help us? And at that moment, I mean, the million things came in my head. but The biggest thing was like, oh, God, how beautiful is it that these two athletes who are one of them was retired by the way, and the other one had been in the sport for so long and, you know, never had the opportunity to say, I would like to become an Olympian. How beautiful is it that they, they know what they have to do for a dream to become a reality, but they're so in and they're so hungry for it. And they're so honest about it. And, and they're reaching out to see, if this is something that we could do together or not, like I thought that was just so beautiful. And and I said, you know what, let's, let's talk. Let's see if we can make this work. And eventually we did. We, we, we said, okay, we're going to do virtu- virtual practices because I can't go over to you because of the pandemic and things are crazy and we're going to do everything we can through the camera. And, and that was a whole other world of itself. I mean, we had a, a computer at the pool and in. in In Johannesburg, the two athletes were in the water. Another coach was helping outside of the water so that, you know, she makes sure that the the, the music is connected at the same time that my voice is connecting through the Zoom (laughs) call, which I was on the other side of the, I was in Spain, you know, and they could hear me under the water. I was giving corrections and they were just following up. We created two routines from scratch, like choreography overseas through Zoom calls. And that was, and they were just, they were really, they were really in, there there were no excuses. And, you know, sometimes you'd lose connection and sometimes you can't hear well enough. and And sometimes other things happen. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I've seen 40 videos and I cannot see where they are because they're not clear enough. And even throughout all this frustration, they just never, never stopped. They only like, they only said, okay, we're ready for what's next. We're ready for what's next. And, and that pushed me like from not having not even having been with them to say we're going to do this like we are going to do this i'm 100 with you whether we can make it work through the camera or not and eventually you know i was able to go to south africa because they qualified they they were able to beat the other duet and we trained trained and trained and trained and trained and the the day came when they told them you're going to the olympic games And I wasn't even, I mean, I was just helping them through the journey and to get there. And I didn't know I was going to be, have the opportunity to go with them. And eventually that's what happened. And so, you know, along, alongside the other coach, uh, the South African coach, the four of us took, um, like, we took off to to Tokyo and and they had record-breaking results and they had an amazing experience and they were happy and, and they pushed themselves more than they well, I'm speaking on behalf of them, but I know that's true. They pushed themselves more than they had ever thought uh, they would. And it was, you know, it was definitely like a very successful and very nourishing experience too.
0: I need to do another time out decode some for this. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. Where can I start? I want to start on a topic called comfort zone. And like, cause I think this is the thing that's beautiful from the whole example is everybody was out there comfort zone from technology, but reflecting of your personal development now reflecting from that experience like how's it taught you life lessons where this one example can help you other walks of life because for me there's so many elements where for example I'm going to give you a breather because I'm going to decode it the athletes and yourself didn't think about excuses you didn't let technology be barrier you had a vision and purpose and desire like Oh, I don't even know what the question is. It's is such a beautiful case study. I'm just curious of, from a comfort zone standpoint, how you look at life differently from that experience.
1: Honestly, just just seeing everything these girls had to go through and the coaches who were helping them there and what I had to do with, with the time difference and and just waking up and thinking ahead of time and preparing and all that stuff. And then being able to see the results that come out of that Th- there is no bigger reality than, than watching that happen and being part of it, right? So I don't know if, if I can say this enough, but comfort is is this dark, dark, dark place in life that, you know, it might feel great at the time, but not being able to explore other corners and other things in your life that are pretty uncomfortable does not allow you to discover and find yourself in so many different ways and also achieve all these other incredible things that you can be achieving and get to know the world and so many things come out from being uncomfortable and so staying in the comfort zone might sound so lovely at the time being and you can say well I have a great job and everything is fine I go home I have my routine I do my thing and I'm pretty comfortable that sounds good but you're never really going to be able to to know more about yourself first and foremost before other things and and discover who you are and what your purpose is in life in more than what you're working in or, or more than what you're doing at the moment and at the same time you're not you're missing out on so much that life has to offer you so much so so much and i wish i could say that enough and i wish i could say it express it in in a better way
0: but from a potential standpoint, you mean so much for a potential or personal potentials? Exactly, right. exactly.
1: Personal potential before anything else. And then it's, you know, what life has to offer and all these incredible things that you have uh, that you could be exploring or you could be doing, whether that's training or that's, uh, you know, jumping into a new hobby or, or I don't know, a million things or getting to know something new or meeting people from a different, with, with different, perceptions of life and and different mindsets and just so many things so I wish everyone could just be more mindful and more aware of you know how many times or how often do they get out of their comfort zone and do things that make them uncomfortable things that challenge them and things that only make them better and know themselves
0: better so for me everybody it's learning about artistic swimming which has been a real joy yeah you know that's how simple it can be Right. A few more questions, but this is important because, I, I, you know, I want to be real on this show. And I've had work with a few Olympians athletes, which is great fun. Like being Olympian isn't like being in a top professional sport, like, you know, like paycheck wise. All right. And I want to be real because, um, you know, I, I think I want people to realize being Olympian, they're so deadly. Like I'll give you one example. My P teacher was Shane O'Brien. He was in the 1984 rowing team for, and he won the gold medal with New Zealand. And he's like, Ed, I had three jobs. You know, these are the days with no like Olympic fundings. It was sweat, tears and blood, like literally. And, yep. you know, for him, it was more like the real tradition, what the Olympics stood for. But as I said earlier, I, I always want to make sure that athletes have a pathway of that big question all our lives. What's next? But I know you studied journalism. Like what gave you the bug to then, you know, do this path whilst doing coaching? like i'm just curious like was it writing was it radio was it video like what medium got you so you know interested in like the journalism career path
1: i had always loved writing and expressing myself through through words <laughs> which tends to be much easier for me on a paper or on my computer um than than speaking but it was something i was always interested in and i wanted to give myself an opportunity and that was me being getting very very uncomfortable and saying you know what, I could just continue coaching and I love it and all that stuff, but I would really like to explore and see where that would take me. And I didn't realize, you know, I loved uh, I loved speaking in public so much. Well, not speaking in public, like moderating, for example. I didn't realize it until later. I was like, this is something that I could probably continue to improve, even though it made me extremely uncomfortable my first time, which is when you were there. Um, Yeah. You,
0: are, you did an amazing job, by the way, can I say the interview? And we did say, I'll be like, there were challenges where people weren't opening up like you know now how I interview it's very challenging when you got somebody giving yeah. you just a simple blank question you're like open up, open yeah. up man I'm like, sure a bit of emotion you know it makes it makes it easy because it's like a conversation but carry on yeah but
1: um that's you know I, I had that vision that uh that this is something I knew I always wanted to do and I, I wanted to explore it a little bit more so that's that part of the question and remind me again the other part of your question.
0: The other part is more like what you're like currently doing in in the you know journalistic route. Cause you, you...
1: yes, exactly, you're right. I I write for a Spanish newspaper, the biggest Spanish newspaper. Um, and I work with the American team. So I work my, my I write my articles in English, but sometimes I also translate Spanish articles to English. And it's, I love that part because languages just fascinate me and the change from, you know, the voice, the tone, just everything. Um, And as I do that, you know, and I write about sports and I cover news and I cover things that happen in like athletes' lives, my background and being an athlete and continuing, and and I'm still a coach, right? I still coach but part-time whenever I can and stuff that helps me so much with my writing because like I'm real, I'm not going to write about information that I'm not, I'm not positive is is correct or at least as much as I can. Right. I will always keep these athletes in mind because they're human beings and these coaches and these staff and these human beings in general, not just athletes. Right. I specifically write about sports. That's why I'm talking about athletes, but um, I will keep in mind and I do keep in mind still that I was one day in their shoes, and you know, just saying something because it's so easy, and 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 like having like your own little bias about something is so much easier than sticking to or like looking for more information and understanding exactly what's happening, and then saying the news as they are rather than just like having a bias about it or saying, oh, well, well he, you know, he played like crap or whatever it is well you don't know we're just spectators and we're watching and and so that has helped me a lot in in that way um to make that transition and to be genuine
0: yeah that That empathy empathy aspect aspect.
1: 100 percent. that empathy and at the same time like thinking about things that maybe a lot of other people wouldn't think about when you're reading just simple news or or you see something that's happening to you know one of those athletes lives or or even with the world cup and cut out. Oh, so many things so many things
0: <laughs> right I want to touch on one thing to listener that they should be reading if you still run it but it's your blog like are you still um, using are you still is it um turning heads you're turning, turning heads
1: yeah you still,
0: like because I, I want to share one blog like you should read it's called perspectives and I've got a little quote because it's oh. a brilliant career related it's your personality is what gets you that job you never thought you'd get All this relationship you never dreamed of. All those friends you are forever grateful for. That was in this blog. I read it yesterday morning with my coffee. I'm like, you said you had the love. I knew you had the love for language and words because I read three of your blog posts. But perspectives is the one that we shared in the show notes. I'm just curious if you're still writing there. Because if you're not, I'm going to help you be accountable because it's really great stuff you share some are smaller, some are, but that Perspectives blog article is fantastic. Uh, but I would love you to reflect of that quote I shared of how personality is vital with our career journeys, including both of us, but in general as a topic.
1: Oh, I love this conversation, Ed. <laughs> um, I have not written anything in my blog lately because it just, like, it takes, I have to be in such a specific place to write about things like that, which make me uncomfortable, but you know, at least I have a blog out there. <laughs> um and I, I, I do plan on continuing and writing more on that. Um definitely, definitely. Um the perspective one and is specifically that quote that you read about perspective and, and personality is sorry about personality and how that brings you that job or or those friends or whatever it is. I can't say enough how how much i have lived that and how much i continue to experience that and see that and witness that um in so many different cultures and so many different industries and different careers like it is not about how much you know and it's not about how much experience you have and it's not about you know how technical you are at the end of the day your personality and your approach and your social skills and your other skills and other skills and other skills on top of the knowledge that you have on top of the experience on top of whatever else you know strengths you have are what really get you to be the one percent in the one percent get you to a place that you wouldn't be able to get to when you just have knowledge or just experience or just Whatever, and I think that's a good example with myself. Like I really don't think I would have gone as far as I have in my coaching career, being able to consult worldwide, work with different teams, understand different cultures if and and, and be able to write you know in a newspaper like Dailys in in Spain after having not been working as a journalist for eight years, I mean always always back and forth, always writing but not working in an industry, right, or in an organization or a newspaper or whatever. I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for my personality and my, my open mindset. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, that's what I meant when I was trying to, to put that in one sentence or in, or in, you know, a few short sentences. Yes. Yeah,
0: Here's it one. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Ryan. We're, on the blog side, we're going to get another call. <laughs> we're going to sort that blog out and get that consistency. But look, I hope, I hope the listeners are, getting a flavor of all the different topics and how all the sort of topics we're talking about interlink, you know, with communication, by the way. But look, you know, for me, I've really enjoyed the conversation, but out of interest, Reem, like, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now?
1: Okay, yeah, I'll try to keep this as short as possible. First of all, all the people, all the, all the amazing people I have met from all these different cultures. Uh, I, I do not take it for granted. I, I'm so thankful for it, like probably every day of my life because I feel like I belong in the world now. Like I'm not an Egyptian. I'm not an American. I'm not a Spanish. I'm this like, seriously, I'm a citizen of the world because I feel like I have lived in every culture by meeting all these people and being in their houses and traveling and and all that stuff. And that's, you know, that's the biggest blessing that has come out of all of this. Um, And definitely my, my, Self, I, I don't even know if I can say that, but being self-demanding while, while also keeping in mind that love is always, is always the strongest emotion in the room, like wanting to be better, wanting to have others be better, wanting to help, wanting to do my job the best way possible, remembering that smiling and being kind and being genuine and being real and all that stuff is what helps all these things happen whether it's you being demanding with yourself or being demanding with others because you know you're a leader and you're having you're trying to have them improve or you're in a workplace and you know you're just trying to do your job like love empathy kindness being genuine being real all these things help so much as you have a goal an object and an objective that you're trying to go for and you're trying to achieve just always wanting more and always wanting to be better that's that's I think the biggest
0: thing amazing and look I always always finish with an inspirational question but you just said it beautifully just then but out of interest just as a recap because this is all Mm -hmm. about communication we've talked about body language we've talked about your coaching skills your leadership skills but out of interest like what three tips would you give to the listener to be a better communicator like what would they be
1: I think to be a better communicator and to be a to be the better ver- version of yourself overall. Like, find your why, find your purpose. Why is it that you want to talk about certain things? Why is it important for you? Why do you want to continue doing it? Why are you doing it in the first place? Find your purpose so that when you talk to people and you communicate, you're real, and it looks like you're not. You know, you're not doing a job. You're just you're just being yourself. So find your why, control what you can at the moment. Even if there are some things that you don't, you know, you're not a fan of or you want to improve or whatever it is, control what you can as you constantly and consistently work for where you want to go or what you want to be or what you want to improve. I think those are the three things that I try to remind myself of as much as I can. And I know it's easier said than done. But that I, I hope that helps at least one person listening to this podcast
0: uh definitely more than one but relating to those three I relate to as well like I can't believe I'm saying this is season eight of the podcast show you know Amazing. And for me it's that why so important so as much as it's overused online like know your why Simon said it, but you're so true when you actually embrace the experience but look Reem how can people interact with you online like where are the best places to go
1: um, I probably either LinkedIn or Instagram, I use those two often. And it's for my career, mostly uh, LinkedIn, my name is Reem Abdulazim. <laughs> it's pretty hard to write, but uh, I'm sure you'll have it on your podcast, right? Absolutely. And then the, on Instagram, it's Reem Bosati. It's R-Y-M-B-O-S-S-A-T-Y. Um, so either of those platforms would work for me.
0: That is awesome to the, all the listeners listening, and all those links will be on my blog post and podcast with regards to this awesome podcast chat. All the information will be there with the show notes. Reem, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much.
1: Ed, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting with you, and it's just so beautiful to see your energy and to feel like the things I say are already things that I see you doing or, or see you, you know, living up. So it's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: What an unbelievable podcast chat with Reem. And firstly, where do I start with regards to my experience learning from this podcast and learning from Reem? Starting off, I really do hope you learned from Reem about how your body language can be such a great tool and asset with regards to improving your communication skills. That's number one. But with regards to Reem's story, I hope you've got a better understanding about having that purpose and what you do like this term is so used on my podcast but relating to the different experiences that she's experienced as an athlete when competing at the Olympics and then for me the biggest case study I've taken from this conversation is the duo she coached for the South African uh, artistic swimming team like for me that was the something that just brought to life when you hear that phrase i oh, pursue your dream and make it reality like there is the best example of that if you really decode that example where like I said like they eliminated the barriers of technology they use Zoom they eliminated any excuses of Reem not being there as a coach they made it happen Um, all these factors and they just united as a team because they had a common goal in place and that was to get to the Olympics and for me um, that's what it's all about, pursuing a dream. It's when you put something out there, have it as your main focus point, and then working really hard collectively to make it happen. And it really is one of my favourite stories, or actually on this podcast. It's, it's one that I'll go back to, to remind myself that anything's possible. But with regards to learning from Ream in general, I hope there are some learning aspects that you can apply to your sports career development if it's her way of coaching, like she was talking about being adaptable, if it's the power of using writing as a way of expressing yourself in what you do. Like, there are so many components from this podcast that I hope you can utilise to your advantage. That's the whole purpose of this podcast show, is not just listening to special guests, but actually applying what you listen into action with regards to your sports career development. So I'm really curious what ideas and what thoughts have gone through your mind listening and learning from Reem, but most importantly, apply it to your sports career development today and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Reem said, to be a better communicator, focus and be in the best version of you in what you do and how you communicate it to others and the world.